I don't need to tell you today of how important it is that Jesus rose from the dead. I don't really need to tell you about all the proofs that Jesus is alive and that he is risen. It is, of course, the proof that the debt of sin is paid. If you want to know that Jesus' crucifixion had its effect, its impact on God, that the wrath of God was absorbed by the Lord, and all the sins that we committed, that his people have committed, throughout the, the generations, that all those sins that were laid on the Lord Jesus, for which he was condemned and put to death, and the wrath of the Father fell on him, and the Lord Jesus drank the cup of wrath dry. If you want to know that that was really effectual, that it's a finished work and it's done, and God is satisfied with the death of his son, then the note that God raised him up again and has highly exalted him is the wonderful assurance that that redemption is completed. If you should stand at a gravesite and you hear the officiant minister saying, one day this grave shall open. One day this loved one who we are committing to the earth, this body shall rise again. And that hope that fills the heart of Christians, it is real because Jesus himself rose from the dead. He is the prototype. And my example of a prototype is like the model car that comes off the assembly line and they make one. And every other car that comes off the assembly line day after day after day and night, hour by hour, more vehicles keep rolling off the assembly line. And they're just like the first one. Because Jesus is raised from the dead so shall we in like manner isn't that wonderful isn't that a blessed and tremendous hope now therefore this resurrection of our Lord Jesus is the first point of attack by the enemies of Christianity it is mocked it is scoffed and of course there's every sort of false argument thrown against the truth of the resurrection. But the answer to that is the wonderful ministry that the apostles had in the first century. You've heard of the explosion of Christianity because they went forth to preach not just that Jesus died but that he rose again and it was that resurrection note that won the hearts of countless souls across the known world in the first century and the Christian church has been marching on and going forward and has become a missionary church around the world now you may have heard me pray that on this resurrection day around the world our hearts desire that every people, every nation, every tribe, every culture will hear the good news. And just think about it. Is there any country in the world that you could put your finger on the map and say a Christian missionary has never gone there? Well, maybe North Korea might be a difficult one right now. <laughs> but in the 1910, 1910, there was revival in Korea, long before it was divided in the 1950s. There are today an unknown and an amazing number of Bible Christians in North Korea. Great godly witnesses 
who are willing to lay down their lives on the con con conviction and the assurance that Jesus is their hope of eternal life. And they'll give up this temporal life that they may enjoy eternal life. And so this message still lives, and it lives in great power. Now, the Lord's own credibility stands or falls on the fact that he rose again from the dead. If you turn with me to Matthew 28, our Bible reading, I want you to listen to the announcement of the angel. He is not here. Have you ever gone to someone's door and knocked and asked for a person and said, he's not here? Bit of a disappointment, isn't it? You've gone all the way to the person's door and knocked. He is not here. For he is risen. He's risen. As he said. It should not have been a surprise. It should not have been news. It should have been the full expectation of those who had listened to the Lord and sat at his feet and heard his word for three years. He's risen as he said. And all we can do is show you the empty tomb. That was it. And so that first morning of the week, our Sunday, was a wonderful, wonderful morning. Two Marys were there. Mary Magdalene, the one out of whom had gone seven devils. She was demon-possessed at one time, and the Lord delivered her. She was there first with another Mary. And it's one of the most confuddling things in Bible study is sorting out the Marys. <laughs> there are at least four of them. And sometimes we get mixed up and we read a commentary and they got this idea and that idea and so on. But there was Mary Magdalene, there's Mary the mother of Jesus, and she was not there at this tomb, Mary the mother of Jesus. This Mary was the mother of James. And then there's another Mary, the wife of Zebedee. And so there's a whole list of Marys. And on that first morning, they came to anoint the dead body. Things had been done in haste in burying the Lord on that day before the sun. They had to rush his embalming. Nicodemus and Arimathea and others were there to do that. And the woman thought, we need to improve on that. Whatever they wanted to do and bring in their own spices and come into that tomb, and they wanted a way to roll away the stone and go in and, and do more. That's about as much as we know. They wanted to do more. They wanted to show great respect to the body of the Lord Jesus. And the two Marys went to anoint a dead body. But instead, they ended up worshipping at the feet of a very real, very physical, and very much alive Savior. That's the news of that morning. And I must learn from the best of preachers just to tell the story. We could preach on many things here today on this point, but I just want to tell the story. And the first part of the story is the dawning of the resurrection morning. While it was yet somewhat dark, it was gray, night was departing, day was coming, and these women wanted to be at the tomb as soon as the Sabbath was over at the very first incident that they could. What a wonderful interest 
these women had in the Lord Jesus. They had put off transgressing the Sabbath. We'll honor them for that. But they wanted to be there as quickly as possible to see the sepulchre. Now, their love and gratitude for the Savior had not diminished a whit, even though they thought he was dead. What an impact the Lord Jesus had had on their lives. It was not a fleeting, passing impact. And you know, that is the testimony of Christians. When you come to know the Lord Jesus, He changes you. He changes your thinking. He changes your desires. He changes your interest. And you want more of Him. They came, we're told, to seek Jesus. Fear not ye, for I know that ye seek Jesus now if I heard that from you today that this is why you've come to church that would be good news and I know for many here today for sure that's exactly why you came, you didn't come to see Mr. Cranston you can see him at any time you've come to see and hear and learn about the Lord Jesus, now what did they expect to see they expect to see a sealed tomb with a giant rock closing its mouth. And they also expected a huge problem because they didn't know how they were going to move that rock away from the opening of the tomb. They expected to see a dead body that needed further embalming. They expected to leave the tomb just as before just as sad just as confused but instead they saw an open tomb and what a revelation what a sight and to be able to look in and to see the grave clothes laying undisturbed undisturbed from head to toe the Lord had risen out of the clothes and out of the tomb before the stone was rolled away. The angel did not roll away the stone to release the Lord from the tomb. He was gone. He opened the tomb to allow the women and others to look in and to see the place where he lay. Now what do these women teach us? They testify of a grave site, a real place, and they knew the place. They saw everything in the morning light with their own eyes. They believed that the Lord had truly died, for they had come to anoint his body. If they had thought that this was some form of deception, they would have not come to embalm or improve on his embalming. They were living witnesses to what happened at the cross, the crucifixion. You'll notice how the angel made reference to the crucifixion in verse 5. Fear not ye, for I know that ye seek Jesus, which was crucified. The angels testified, and the women agreed with that. That was agreeable, an agreeable statement to them. <clears throat> that they sought Jesus is a very precious devotional thought to us true Christians will say amen the new birth within us <clears throat> makes us to be seekers of the Lord Jesus now it's not that Christians have never found him or never come to know him but we seek to know more of him more of his love more of his grace more of his reassurance that our sins are forgiven Christians are to grow in grace and in the knowledge of the Lord Jesus and that 
is what you must seek with all your heart. Now there comes then the descending angel. Matthew records this very stirring event. The quiet of the morning was broken by a great earthquake. It was no small stirring, but notice that it was not destructive. Usually an earthquake is a a destructive thing. Houses fall, rocks crumble and fall. But the tomb was not damaged. All that happened was the stone was rolled away. The angel had come down in power, but there was a, a, a noise that awakened and alerted the community something mighty had taken place and so angels can do physical work just think of that angels can make things happen on earth they can move rocks they can unchain gates as you know with Peter when he was in prison they can lift chariots into the air as happened for Elijah they can act upon this created world and bring about events under God's control. Now, this angel took a seat on the stone. He's not contrary to the material world, but he's there resting upon that stone. And he's seated there as if to defy anybody to come and close it up again. Don't you dare. And he's there keeping watch upon that open tomb. And to announce that it was empty. He was not guarding the body of the Lord. He was waiting for the woman to come to tell him the story. What a great lesson there is here. That the Lord has messengers to do his work. Don't you be getting the idea that you are indispensable that if you are not around God's work will never be done God will raise up his messengers to do his work in his own way and in his own time and these women were previously concerned about how they were going to roll away the stone but the Lord had answered it already and they came and saw the open tomb and they heard the news he's not here for he is risen in the Bible there's a whole history of angels at work and I'm just wondering is it profitable for us on a resurrection morning to talk a little about angels doing mighty things for God on the earth Well, I think it's part of the story, isn't it? That an angel rolled away the stone. An angel announced to the woman that the Savior was gone. It's a part of the history. And so we take just a few moments and turn to the book of Exodus. Way back to (coughs) near the beginning of the Bible. Exodus 23 and verse 20. We see how God in history has used angels and moved angels to promote his cause and his people in various ways. Exodus 23 verse 20. The Lord says, Behold, I will send an angel before thee to keep thee in the way and to bring thee into the place which I have prepared. Beware of him. And obey his voice, provoke him not, for he will not pardon your transgressions, for my name is in him. But if thou shalt indeed obey his voice and do all that I speak, then I will be an enemy unto thine enemies, and an adversary unto thine adversaries. For mine angel shall go before thee. Now as Christians we enjoy the providence of God. Providence simply comes from the Latin term pro video. 
It is like God playing our life story in advance. And God is in every detail of your life. And he goes before us. And indeed in Isaiah he promised that I will be go before you and also be your rear word. He goes before and he comes behind. It's a wonderful thing to be a Christian. It's a wonderful thing to be in the care of the Lord. And you'll notice the call to obedience to the voice of the angel. When you are an obedient Christian and you obey the voice of the Lord and his word, the Lord will take care of you. You will be under his care and his protection. Now do you have problems? Huh. Do we have problems? Every one of us has issues and problems to take care of. Things that we have no idea on how to overcome. <coughs> then wait on the Lord. Ask the Lord to go before you. Ask the Lord to be your guide. Speaking again of angels, I'm going to read here from Psalm 103. Bless the Lord, ye his angels, that excel in strength, that do his commandments, hearkening unto the voice of his word. Angels are obedient. There's no such thing as a disobedient angel outside of hell. The wicked angels have been cast down to hell. The non-elect angels are lost and already perished. They're cast out. The good angels are obedient and fulfill the will of the Lord immediately. And in the book of Hebrews, maybe I'll ask you to turn to this one because it's so vital to the Christian. Hebrews 1 and verse 14. It says, Are they not all ministering spirits sent forth to minister for them who shall be heirs of salvation. There's a ministry of the angels to the church, to the Christians. And you can pray that God will watch over you and commission every angel to protect, to guide, and to direct you. And there is spiritual help from the Lord. We're living in a world that is spiritual. Paul drew the picture of the Roman soldier and all the various accoutrements of the, the, the uh, soldier with his helmet and his breastplate, the shield of faith, because the wicked one, he's working against the Christian. And the wiles of the devil will wrestle not against flesh and blood but against principalities and powers of the air. This is a spiritual world. And there's a devil at work. And he's seeking to destroy. He's a murderer from the beginning. Who do you think's behind war in Ukraine? Who do you think is destroying the minds of political leaders to destroy nations and work the devil's program? Why do we pray that God will give us godly leaders? Why do we pray for kings and for those that are in authority? Because God rules men. And he turns their hearts as he turns the rivers of water. This is a world where there's a spiritual warfare. And you're to put on the armor of God. You're to defend yourself. You're to take the weapon of all prayer. Praying in the Spirit. Are you doing that? Are you praying? Are you a praying Christian? Do you let a day go by that you don't call on God to help you? That's the need of the hour. And here we learn from these women that they were helped by the angel and guided by the angel and they were told what to do by the angel. I want to move to verse 4 and talk here about the disarming of the Roman guard. This quaternion of Roman soldiers, we read up here in Matthew 28 verse 4, it says, And for fear of him the keepers 
did shake and became as dead men. Uh, in, in my years of study and looking at this, I've always come to the conclusion there were quaternion was 16 Roman soldiers. 16. Elite troops. They were the best of the best. They were the, what do they call them in Canada? JF2s, whatever they are. Uh, and they are the, the trained for combat. Now, I happened to read Albert Barnes this morning, and he said there were 60. First time I've ever found that. I'll, I'll, I'll use my default of 16 for now until I search that a little further. 16 Roman soldiers guarding the tomb. Who's going to touch those boys? Who's going to draw near in the hour of darkness to try and overcome them? But here, when the angel appeared, the keepers did shake and became as dead men. Now the best comment I've ever found on that is by J.C. Ryle. And if you're a believer today and you want something to read as a Christian, I recommend anything written by J.C. Ryle. Doesn't matter what it is. Commentaries on the four Gospels, his book on communion, knots on tie, church history. J.C. Ryle is a most beneficial author that will do your soul good. And he said this, that this event of the keepers shaking and becoming as dead men is a foretaste of the resurrection day when the wicked will tremble at the coming of the Lord. What a thought. And we get a little side scene here of the visitation of God upon the strongest of men. And they tremble and become as dead men. Now God's people should neither fear men nor angels because on that day as a Christian we're going to be ushered in and we're going to be rewarded with the well done of our Heavenly Father as we have served Him. But for the ungodly on that judgment day, what a terrible event it will be. I hope that you're saved today. I hope that you have asked the Lord Jesus to be your Savior, to wash you in His blood, to take away your sins, that you will stand on that day white in the righteousness of Christ, saved, for all eternity. Now as we move on down the passage, and that's just all we're doing here, we're just telling the story, going on down this passage to verse 5, we see here the delight of the woman. They got a very warm welcome. It says, And the angel answered and said unto the woman, Fear not ye, for I know that ye seek Jesus, which was crucified. He is not here, for he is risen, as he said, Come, see the place where the Lord lay. They were not trembling. They were not scared off. They did not fall down as dead. But they got a wonderful welcome. They also got a mission of grace. They said, the angel said to them, verse 7, Go quickly and tell my disciples that he has risen from the dead. You see, it was women who were the first to announce the resurrection of the Lord Jesus. And that's all contrary to the culture of the age because women's testimony meant nothing. If this was a, an imposter writing this, he would never use women. He would never bring women into the evidence as witnesses because in that culture women's testimony meant nothing and this is God's way of proving its reality women were the first to announce the resurrection and we're told in verse 8 that they departed quickly from the sepulchre with fear and great joy fear and great joy 
You know, that's the mark of a real Christian. Someone who has reverence and at the same time a thrilling happiness in their souls. Reverence is not the fear of judgment. Reverence is not that God's my enemy. But it is to recognize that he is Lord. He's in control. And I am but a servant. And these women were filled with fear. They departed quickly. What's the rush? Well, they had such good news. <coughs> Frontline journalists. They wanted to tell the news. They were commissioned to go to the disciples. And the risen Christ was such an inspiring message that it elevated these women from mere embalmers to telling the good news of a living Savior. You know, Christ elevates his people. What would you be doing if you're not a Christian? Just think about it. I don't know, maybe you work at Tim Hortons, serving coffee and donuts. <laughs> Nothing wrong with that. Lots of people do that as income. It's an honest job. You can do it well. Be a good employee, serve the customers well. So is that all you want? Just serving coffee for us. You might be a truck driver. Or working in an office, clocking in, clocking out. Is that all you want? But once you're a Christian, you're way much more. You're still working at Tim Horton serving coffee and donuts. You've got a testimony now. You're a witness. You're honest. You're kind. You want to be Christ like. You want others to know that you love and serve the Lord Jesus. It lifts your life out of the doldrums of an empty life into the fullness of serving the living God as a witness for His Son. That's the elevating power of the Lord for his people. Now these women were delighted. They were thrilled, filled with joy. Some people have only enough religion to make them miserable. They've got a legalistic attitude. And I've been talking a fair bit this weekend about keeping the Ten Commandments. And there are people who think that if they keep Ten Commandments and work at it and work at it, that'll make them a wonderful Christian. But I've tried to balance that by saying, you don't become a Christian by keeping laws. Laws don't save your soul. The law only convinces you just what a terrible sinner you are. The law convicts of sin. What is sin? It is the transgression of the law of God. The law is the standard. And as we recognize that standard, we see how far short we fall. And Paul said in Romans 3.23 that all have fallen short of the glory of God. That's you and me. That's why we need a Savior. That's why we need to be washed in the blood. To be redeemed from our sins. What? Power then comes into our souls to live a new life. We not only become legalists, we not only uh, live by a standard, we live by the power of the crucified and living Lord Jesus. Of course, the Sadducees, they denied the resurrection and they were no doubt a sad bunch. The Pharisees were like that. And you ever notice churchy apostate people they're very proud of their church and of course it's a great heritage my father, my grandfather my parents, they were in this grand church it could be Episcopalian it could be Presbyterian United, whatever and they've got a churchiness but it's empty it's no thrill because all they have is a, an external attachment to religion. 
Christ has never come in to change their hearts and to give them this wonderful, wonderful joy. Well, these women were filled with joy and gladness. What examples they are. And as they ran off with delight to tell the good news, they were tremendous witnesses. I hope today that that joy has entered your heart and that you are a living, happy, glad, satisfied believer in the Lord Jesus. Now we're going to wrap up here with verse 9. Verse 9, it says, As they went to tell his disciples, Behold, Jesus met them. Isn't this wonderful? Who did the Lord Jesus meet first? Before the man had any notion of the resurrection. The Lord Jesus met the woman on their way to talk to the disciples. And he said to them, All heal. Now that means rejoice. It's not a heal Hitler. It's not some shout. But it was the word of rejoicing be of good cheer and the Lord himself met them what a boon this was their faith was not in the negative realm but in the truth of the living walking and talking son of God they didn't just go to tell a story of an empty tomb but now they had the positive side of it they had the living Lord Jesus to testify of him and they also did two things to verify that the Lord was real. We're told in verse 9, as they went to tell his disciples, behold, Jesus met them, saying, All heal. And they came and held him by the feet. It was a real body. It was a physical body. They could touch him. They could touch him. He was real. And these women, they actually held to the physical feet of the Lord Jesus. Feet with the nail prints of Calvary on them. That was his ID. There was no mistake. This same Jesus in the same body. And they could hold onto his feet. Then the other thing they did was they worshipped him. Verse 9. And worshipped him. Now, if the Lord was not truly Jesus, this figure was truly not the Lord Jesus, he would reject all worship. But this Son of God, this Lord Jesus, delighted in the worship of these women. They gave full honor unto him as God. Now worship in the English language is a very fluid, funny kind of word. And it means a lot of things to different people. Worship, what does it mean? It means that Jesus is worthy. He is worthy of our honor, our devotion, of our delight as God in the flesh. And of course, Jesus is God. And he is eternal God. You cannot honor him too much. You cannot give too much praise and glory to the Lord Jesus. Sadly, we feel to give him enough. And I would challenge you to be in the house of God every time the Lord Jesus is worshipped. Now thankfully you have a church here where the Bible is believed, where the preacher is converted, and he preaches from the book at every meeting. You're not going to come and find 
some entertainment, one meeting, and a bit of Bible preaching, and they slip in a Bible <coughs> verse and some other kind of agenda. This is a church that honors the Lord Jesus and worships in reverence, in true doctrine, in hymns that exalt him, with musicians. <coughs> and my wife has co commented that so easy to listen even in the pre-service to their music that prepares the heart to get you into the very frame of mind to worship and how good to come that few minutes early to, to just absorb that and prepare your heart and then to open the hymn book and while some of those hymns in that book are not easy to sing every one of them glorifies the Lord thus the song you ought to be here to worship the Lord Jesus at every meeting possible Sunday morning evening midweek if you're too busy for that you're too busy if you say that doesn't fit my agenda my lifestyle then it's time to change your lifestyle a Christian will always want to worship the Lord. Now I'm going to address those who are listening in online and there may be those who just cannot be here. Illness, infirmity, distance. I try to be reasonable that there are times when God's people can't be here. What it means this is online worship. And I would say to you, please turn the television off while you're worshipping online. Please arrange things that you are considering yourself as in the presence of the Lord and worshipping Him. And give the Lord the honor that is due to His great name. Let me speak to the young people here today. It's great to see young people. Some people say that we free Presbyterians are dying out. Well, there's, a, there's a, a generation that is dying out. But how wonderful to see a young group of people. Great to see you here today. What kind of worshiper are you going to be? I'm going to assume that you are a Christian. I'm going to assume that you do believe in the Lord Jesus and are trusting in him as your Savior. Now let me ask you, are you going to worship the Lord as a Christian rapper? Are you going to worship the Lord with the drumbeat? Are you going to worship the Lord with the strobe lights? Are you going to worship the Lord where there's a thousand people gyrating? Because that's happening. You, you don't have to go very far to find that. And young people seem to be able to find that sooner than older people. And it's a big draw. It's a huge temptation to you to get drawn into that form of what is called worship. And you say, well, it's worship. But let me ask you, is it worshipful? Is it worshipful? And the most confusing thing is that there are ministries that have all of the things I've just mentioned. And then you'll have, and they'll have the worship team and the worship leader and then they'll bring on the preacher. And he'll be very gifted. These are men who can, who can communicate. They're very gifted communicators. They have schooled themselves in the art of oratory and how to present things. And so there is now this combining of questionable worship styles with something of the Bible. And it works. It works for 
there's a generation that's drawn into it. And if you want the crowds, that's where you're going to go. But I would challenge you right now to analyze this very carefully, very wisely. Talk to a mature Christian. Young people, go to a mature Christian. Proverbs talks about the wisdom of counselors, many counselors. Don't make this decision on your own in your youth. Ask a Christian that you know walks with God and ask them, where do you think I can grow as a Christian and worship in reverence? And get the answer. And then you may say, well, I'm not sure if that's the right answer. It's probably not the answer you want. Well, then go to another mature Christian. Ask the same question. Or maybe come to your minister and say, why do you do things the way you do in this church? What way is that better? Why do you think that's the right way? <coughs> think it through. Just don't fall into it. Now I'll tell you another trap for young people. You might learn about a pretty young lady in one of these churches. I don't blame you for desiring a girlfriend one day you might get married. I found my wife at church. And I won't embarrass her now by saying the first Sunday I went to church she was playing the organ. She looked down and saw me and she winked at me. <laughs> well, I assure you, I was back the next Sunday. <laughs> I was lured in. But the preacher was Mr. Cranston. I was in safe ground. I was in a safe place. The young people, I've seen it over and over. Good young people raised in a Christian church know their Bible, know the right answers. And then hormones make the decision. Hormones take over. And that attraction to some young person could be male or female. You're a girl, it can happen to you as well. And you end up going to that ministry because of your heart interest, not in the Lord at all, but in that young person you're attracted and you swallow the pill and I dare say many have sold their conscience because they want a friend rather than be a faithful worshipper to the Lord I want to give you the testimony of a man who's an elder in the church I ministered in Alan's son he was so keen to find a wife he was hitting 30, over 30, and there was no wife in sight for him. But he resisted the idea of going to another such kind of ministry to find and find a wife. And one day, God brought this young girl, she was a nanny, to a family attending our church. She was somewhat related as well. But that's why she came to Canada, and that's why she came to this family, and that's why she came to our church. And it was like Isaac, how God just brought a wife to him. And if you are faithful, and you trust the Lord, he'll provide the right person for you. And you won't have to sell out your conscience to do it. You won't have to give up your Bible conviction. You won't have to join a worldly church. I'm not going to condemn all churches today. I do not believe that the Free Presbyterian Church is the only ministry God can possibly bless. There are other churches in Canada, good solid ministries, godly pastors. They do things a little bit differently. And there's good people in them. But they're the minority. They are the minority. And we're just a wee remnant. 
a leftover piece. And young people, you've got to think this through. And you've got to steer your life in a biblical path. And the rule must be that you're going to be a true and faithful worshiper at all costs. If you let go of that rule, it'll destroy your Christian testimony. I will tremble for your walk with God. Would you resolve that right now and say, Lord, never let me fall into false worship or worldly worship, or compromising worship. Would you settle that in your heart now? Today, on this Resurrection Sunday, when you think of these women, and they came and they laid hold on the feet of the Lord Jesus, they worshipped Him. They worshipped Him. Oh, what a wonderful sight. What a wonderful sight. Ah, you can't let go of the true sight of Jesus you must seek him that must be your passion sir we would see Jesus it's written right here on this this, this book by the way if I had a mirror I could show it to you you could come up after the meeting sir we would see Jesus that's not the same context as we'd be looking at here that's another event it was Greeks who came and said, Sir, we would see Jesus. But that must be your passion. And if you find something that's called a church, called a minister, and that's going to fog or cloud your view of the Lord Jesus, that's the wrong place for you. May the Lord guide you in that. And may the Lord direct your heart. And may the Lord make us thankful that we have ministries that are true. Churches that are remaining true. And whether we're small or, or, or not, thank God that we don't have to sell out our conscience, sit in church cringing because of a, a new style. May the Lord deliver us. Thank you for listening so well. I hope you'll come back tonight. I trust the Lord will help us in our final meeting this evening. And again, just thank the Lord. Of this grace to us.